Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Deep neural nets work in AI because an algorithm lets them learn from data. The problem is, you can't apply those learning algorithms to biological brains, but researchers are on the hunt for alternatives that just might work. That's next. While you're listening to podcasts, remember to check out the other Quanta Magazine podcast, The Joy of X. Host Stephen Strogatz interviews top-tier scientists and mathematicians. New episodes out now. Also, tell your friends about this podcast and give us a like or follow where you listen. It helps people find the Quanta Magazine podcast. Today, deep nets rule AI, in part because of an algorithm called backpropagation or backprop. The algorithm enables deep nets to learn from data. This gives them the ability to classify images, recognize speech, translate languages, and even make sense of road conditions for self-driving cars, among other things. But real brains are highly unlikely to be relying on the same algorithm. Yashua Benjo is a computer scientist at the University of Montreal and the scientific director of Mila, the Quebec Artificial Intelligence Institute. Brains are able to generalize and learn better and faster than uh, state-of-the-art AI systems. And brains can't be doing it with backpropagation because it isn't compatible with their anatomy and physiology. The cortex is a particular problem. Benjo and many others inspired by cognitive psychologist and computer scientist Jeffrey Hinton have been thinking about more biologically plausible learning mechanisms that might at least match the success of backpropagation. Three of them show particular promise, feedback alignment, equilibrium propagation, and predictive coding. Some researchers are also incorporating the properties of certain types of cortical neurons and processes, such as attention, into their models. All these efforts are bringing us closer to understanding the algorithms that may be at work in the brain. The brain is a huge mystery. The general impression is that if we can unlock some of its principles, it might be helpful for AI, but it also has value in its own right. For decades, neuroscientists' theories about how brains learn were guided primarily by a rule introduced in 1949 by Canadian psychologist Donald Hebb. It's often paraphrased as neurons that fire together wire together. Basically, the more correlated the activity of adjacent neurons, the stronger the synaptic connections between them. This principle, with some modifications, was successful at explaining certain limited types of learning and visual classification tasks, but it worked far less well for large networks of neurons that had to learn from mistakes. There was no direct targeted way for neurons deep within the network to learn about discovered errors, update themselves, and make fewer mistakes. Despite its flaws, it was the best learning rule that neuroscientists had. Even before it dominated neuroscience, it inspired the development of the first artificial neural networks in the late 1950s. Each artificial neuron in these networks receives multiple inputs and produces an output, like its biological counterpart. The neuron multiplies each input with a so-called synaptic weight, 
That's a number signifying the importance assigned to that input. It then sums up the weighted inputs. This sum is the neuron's output. By the 1960s, it was clear that such neurons could be organized into a network with an input layer and an output layer. The artificial neural network could be trained to solve a certain class of simple problems. During training, a neural network settled on the best weights for its neurons to eliminate or minimize errors. But it was obvious even in the 1960s that solving more complicated problems required one or more hidden layers of neurons sandwiched between the input and output layers. No one knew how to effectively train artificial neural networks with hidden layers. That wasn't until 1986, when Jeffrey Hinton of the University of Toronto, the late David Rummelhart, and Ronald Williams published the backpropagation algorithm. The algorithm works in two phases. In the forward phase, when the network is given an input, it infers an output, which may be wrong. The second backward phase updates the synaptic weights, bringing the output more in line with a target value. To understand this process, think of a loss function that describes the difference between the inferred and desired outputs as a landscape of hills and valleys. When a network makes an inference with a given set of synaptic weights, it ends up at some location on the loss landscape. To learn, it needs to move down the slope towards some valley where the loss is minimized to the extent possible. Backpropagation is a method for updating the synaptic weights to descend that slope or gradient. In essence, the algorithm's backward phase calculates how much each neuron's synaptic weights contribute to the error and then updates those weights to improve the network's performance. This calculation proceeds sequentially backward from the output layer to the input layer. That's why it's called backpropagation. Do this over and over for sets of inputs and desired outputs, and you'll eventually arrive at an acceptable set of weights for the entire neural network. When backpropagation was invented, some neuroscientists almost immediately said it could never work in real brains. The most notable naysayer was Francis Crick, the Nobel Prize-winning co-discoverer of the structure of DNA, who later became a neuroscientist. Backprop is considered biologically implausible for several major reasons. First, while computers can easily implement the algorithm in two phases, that's hard to do with biological neural networks. The second problem is what computational neuroscientists call the weight transport problem. The backprop algorithm copies or transports information about all the synaptic weights involved in an inference and updates those weights for more accuracy. But in a biological network, neurons see only the outputs of other neurons, not the synaptic weights or internal processes that shape that output. Any biologically plausible learning rule also needs to abide by the limitation that neurons can access information only from neighboring neurons. Backprop may require information from more remote neurons. Here's Yashua Benjo again. If you take backprop to the letter, mm. you know, it seems impossible for brains to compute. Nonetheless, Hinton and a few others immediately took up the challenge of working on biologically plausible variations of backpropagation. 
Conrad Cording is a computational neuroscientist at the University of Pennsylvania. Literally, the first paper arguing that brains do backpropagation is about as old as backpropagation. Over the past decade or so, as the successes of artificial neural networks have led them to dominate artificial intelligence research, the efforts to find a biological equivalent for backprop have intensified. Take, for example, one of the strangest solutions to the weight transport problem, courtesy of Timothy Lillicrap of Google DeepMind in London and his colleagues in 2016. Their algorithm didn't rely on a matrix of weights recorded from the forward pass. Instead, it used a matrix initialized with random values for the backward pass. Once assigned, these values never change, so no weights need to be transported for each backward pass. To almost everyone's surprise, the network learned. Because the forward weights used for inference were updated with each backward pass, the network still descends the gradient of the loss function, but by a different path. The forward weights slowly align themselves with the randomly selected backward weights to eventually yield the correct answers, giving the algorithm its name, feedback alignment. Computational neuroscientist Daniel Yamins of Stanford says it turns out that it doesn't work as badly as you might think it does, at least for simple problems. For large-scale problems and for deeper networks with more hidden layers, feedback alignment doesn't do as well as backprop. Because the updates to the forward weights are less accurate on each pass than they would be from truly backpropagated information, it takes much more data to train the network. Researchers have also explored ways of matching the performance of backprop while maintaining the classic Hebbian learning requirement that neurons respond only to their local neighbors. Backprop can be thought of as one set of neurons doing the inference and another set of neurons doing the computations for updating the synaptic weights. Hinton's idea was to work on algorithms in which each neuron was doing both sets of computations. That's basically what Hinton said in a talk in 2007 at an unofficial meeting on the fringes of a prestigious AI conference. Building on Hinton's work, Benjo's team proposed a learning rule in 2017 that requires a neural network with recurrent connections. That means if neuron A activates neuron B, then neuron B in turn activates neuron A. If such a network is given some input, it sets the network reverberating as each neuron responds to the push and pull of its immediate neighbors. Eventually, the network reaches a state in which the neurons are in equilibrium with the input and each other, and it produces an output, which can be erroneous. The algorithm then nudges the output neurons toward the desired result. This sets another signal propagating backward through the network, setting off similar dynamics. The network finds a new equilibrium. Here's Benjo. And it turns out the beauty of the math is that if you compare these two configurations before the nudging and after the nudging, you've got all the information you need to find the gradient. Training the network involves simply repeating this process of equilibrium propagation over and over, using lots of labeled data. You can also find the constraint that neurons can learn only by reacting to their local environment in new theories of how the brain perceives. 
Baron Millage is a doctoral student at the University of Edinburgh and a visiting fellow at the University of Sussex. He and his colleagues have been reconciling this new view of perception, called predictive coding, with the requirements of backpropagation. He says if you set up predictive coding in a certain way, you'll get a biologically plausible learning rule. Predictive coding assumes that the brain is constantly making predictions about the causes of sensory inputs. The process involves hierarchical layers of neural processing. To produce a certain output, each layer has to predict the neural activity of the layer below. If the highest layer expects to see a face, it predicts the activity of the layer below that can justify this perception. The layer below makes similar predictions about what to expect from the one beneath it, and so on. The lowest layer makes predictions about actual sensory input, say the photons falling on the retina. In this way, predictions flow from the higher layers down to the lower layers. But errors can occur at each level of the hierarchy, from the prediction that a layer makes about the input it expects to the actual input. The bottommost layer adjusts its synaptic weights to minimize its error based on the sensory information it receives. This adjustment results in an error between the newly updated lowest layer and the one above, so the higher layer has to readjust its synaptic weights to minimize its prediction error. These error signals ripple upward. The network goes back and forth until each layer has minimized its prediction error. Millage has shown that with the proper setup, predictive coding networks can converge on much the same learning gradients as backprop. This brings it close to backprop gradients. But for every backward pass that a traditional backprop algorithm makes in a deep neural network, a predictive coding network has to iterate multiple times. Whether this is biologically plausible depends on exactly how long this might take in a real brain. Crucially, the network has to converge on a solution before the inputs from the world outside change. Still, if some inaccuracy is acceptable, Millage says predictive coding can arrive at generally useful answers quickly. Some scientists have taken on the nitty-gritty task of building backprop-like models based on the known properties of individual neurons. Standard neurons have dendrites that collect information from the axons of other neurons. The dendrites transmit signals to the neuron cell body, where the signals are integrated. That may or may not result in a spike or action potential going out on the neuron's axon to the dendrites of postsynaptic neurons. But not all neurons have exactly this structure. In particular, pyramidal neurons, the most abundant type of neuron in the cortex, are distinctly different. Pyramidal neurons have a tree-like structure with two distinct sets of dendrites. The trunk reaches up and branches into what are called apical dendrites. The root reaches down and branches into basal dendrites. Models developed independently by Cording in 2001, and more recently by Blake Richards of McGill University and Mila and his colleagues, have shown that pyramidal neurons could form the basic units of a deep learning network by doing both forward and backward computations simultaneously. The key is in the separation of the signals entering the neuron for forward-going inference and for backward-flowing errors. 
Those could be handled in the model by the basal and apical dendrites, respectively. Information for both signals can be encoded in the spikes of electrical activity that the neuron sends down its axon as an output. Richards says his team's latest work has gotten to the point where they can show that using fairly realistic simulations of neurons, you can train networks of pyramidal neurons to do various tasks. And then using slightly more abstract versions of the models, they can get networks of pyramidal neurons to learn the kinds of difficult tasks that people do in machine learning. An implicit requirement for a deep net that uses backprop is the presence of a teacher, something that can calculate the error made by a network of neurons. There is no teacher in the brain that tells to every output neuron, say, neuron in the motor cortex, you should be switched on and you should be switched off. That's Peter Rolfsema of the Netherlands Institute for Neuroscience in Amsterdam. Rolfsema thinks the brain solution to the problem is in the process of attention. In the late 1990s, he and his colleagues showed that when monkeys fix their gaze on an object, neurons that represent that object in the cortex become more active. The monkey's act of focusing its attention produces a highly selective feedback signal for the responsible neurons. It's not an error signal. It's just saying to all those neurons, you are going to be held responsible. Meaning responsible for an action. Rolfsema's insight was that this feedback signal could enable backprop-like learning when combined with processes revealed in certain other neuroscientific findings. For example, Wolfram Schultz of the University of Cambridge and others have shown that when animals perform an action that yields better results than expected, the brain's dopamine system is activated. Or in the words of Rolfsema, It floods the whole brain with kind of neuromodulators. The dopamine levels act like a global reinforcement signal. In theory, the attentional feedback signal could prime only those neurons responsible for an action to respond to the global reinforcement signal by updating their synaptic weights. Rolfsema and his colleagues have used this idea to build a deep neural network and study its mathematical properties. It turns out you get air propagation. You get basically the same equation but now it became biologically plausible. The team presented its work at the Neural Information Processing Systems online conference in December. We can train deep networks. It's only a factor of two to three slower than backpropagation. Rolfsema says that beats all of the other algorithms that have been proposed to be biologically plausible. Still, concrete empirical evidence that living brains use these plausible mechanisms remains elusive. Benjo says he thinks we're still missing something. In my experience, you know, it could be a little thing, maybe a twist to one of the existing methods that's going to really make a difference. Meanwhile, Yamins and his colleagues at Stanford have suggestions for how to determine which, if any, of the proposed learning rules is the correct one. They analyzed more than a thousand artificial neural networks implementing different models of learning. They found that the type of learning rule governing a network can be identified from the activity of a subset of neurons over time. It's possible that such information could be recorded from monkey brains. Given such advances, computational neuroscientists are quietly optimistic, including Conrad Cording. There's a lot of different ways how the brain could be doing backpropagation. And evolution's pretty damn awesome. Basically, if backpropagation is useful, then I presume that evolution kind of got us. 
Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Anil Anantaswamy's full article, Artificial Neural Nets Finally Yield Clues to How Brains Learn, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Quantum Magazine is an editorially independent online publication launched by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science. <laughs>